Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. So, I want us to look this morning at Psalm chapter 6, all right, uh, which is a prayer when David was sick, and we're going to look at how he kind of approached this, um, because it can be a little awkward to talk about sometimes for, for reasons that we'll get into as we go through. So, Psalm chapter 6, let me just read the whole thing and then we'll go back and comment on it. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed, and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. For there is no mention of you in death, in Sheol, who will give you thanks. I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. Now... As with many of David's psalms, we're not exactly sure when it was written. Many commentators think this is also written in the time when he was running from Absalom, who was trying to take over the kingdom. And so he, he has at least two problems that he seems to be talking about. There seems to be some kind of physical sickness, okay? which just think about it in your own life. Sometimes stress can lead to physical sickness, can it not? Uh, so that, that may be part of what was going on. But he also had enemies who were chasing him. And when you read the historical accounts, it wasn't just that they were chasing him and trying to kill him. That's pretty bad in and of itself. But they were also mocking him. And they were also saying things to him, essentially, hey, you know what? God has turned his back on you. You had your day in the sun. You blew it. You did some big bad stuff. And God's done with you. And you've been cast off. And those words were hard for him. Now, when bad things happen in life, here, here's kind of one of the application points right up front this morning. Whenever you are experiencing any kind of hardship in life, it is often good to at least pause and pray and ask the Lord, Lord, are, are you trying to say something to me? Are you trying to get my attention through the hardship that I'm going through? Now, there's a ditch on both sides of the road of doing that, and let me explain what I mean. Um, because sometimes it may be that God is trying to get your attention. Sometimes like uh, the passage Billy was talking about from 1 Corinthians 11, there was some clear sin that was going on during communion, and God was bringing some clear discipline because of that. Okay. But not always, right? I mean, the classic book on suffering in the Bible, Job, which, which may have been the first book ever written down, it was about this dilemma. I mean, basically Job's friends were saying to Job, God only brings pain into somebody's life when that person has done some specific evil. And one of the major themes is that's not true. Because in the very beginning of the book, God was the one saying about Job, he's the most righteous man on planet earth right now. He's the best. So it wasn't that Job had some big, bad, ugly sin that he was being disciplined for. And yet, if you remember by the very end of the book of Job, Job was repenting of some things. 
So th there's always a lesson to learn if we will listen. Okay. Now, here would be the ditch on both sides of the road. The one I'm going to call the charismatic legalist. And just bear with me for a second. I'm not saying that every charismatic is a legalist. I certainly don't think that. I'm not saying that every legalist is a charismatic. But there is a type of charismatic legalist, okay? and you probably have run into one sometimes, where they, they, they see spiritual warfare behind every event, right? Mm -hmm. If you stub your toe on a rock, well, there must have been a demon in that rock trying to get you. If your allergies act up and you sneeze twice in a row, well, you must have sinned last night and you know, now you're sick. It's just it's overwhelming. It's always like it's about something you did and it's like a tit-for-tat justice being salt every little time something bad happens, right? And that's not the way the Bible views the world. But on the other side would be more of a modern licentious person who has more the attitude, listen, God would never want anybody to suffer. Something bad happens, maybe it's Satan or something. You could never say God has anything to do that because God just, He loves everybody and He's, he's universally going to bless everybody all the time. Please don't attribute any of that to God. And neither one of those are an accurate accounting of what the Bible has to say about how God is willing to use hardship in our life. C.S. Lewis has the famous quote where he says, Pain is God's megaphone, it's how God speaks to us. He may whisper to us at other times, but that's when he speaks, he wants to get our attention. I had a friend very recently who was pretty sick, had multiple things going on, and it was kind of getting to a danger point. I mean, he, and he had been to visit multiple different doctors, multiple different kinds of doctors, even been in the emergency room a couple of times, was getting multiple different types of treatments and prescription drugs, and none of them seemed to be helping. And at one point, he was just talking to me, and I think he was more venting. I don't, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, so I don't think he was really asking my opinion. But he said, what in the world do you think is going on? Why is this happening to me? And we've got a good enough friendship. I just said, and I know this guy pretty well. I said, do you think there might be a spiritual cause? Now, this guy's a Christian, but I don't think he's the most mature Christian I've ever met in my life. What are you talking about? Physical. Physical. This is physical. What do you mean spiritual? I'm just saying. I said, listen. I said, sometimes in my life, and more importantly, sometimes in the Bible, when God is trying to say something to somebody that they don't want to hear, God, God will bring pain to bear. I said, and you're telling me you've been to some of the best different hospitals and doctors in Birmingham, and they can't figure out what's wrong with you? You might want to start praying. And he did later come back and say, you know what? I do feel like there was a conversation that I need to have with somebody. And he went and had the conversation. He'd been putting it off a long time. And he's not suffering anymore. Now, was it just that? Did he finally get the right medicine? Who knows? But, but, but the point is, we, we can't always know the mind of God. But when pain comes to bear in our lives, it's at least good to pause and say, Father, are you trying to teach me something? So I want us to look at how Joe, I mean, how David prays here. Okay? So the first part of this psalm, he's essentially saying, Return to me, God. Return to me and bless me, right? Let's read it again, verse 1. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed, and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? I mean, it's like he, he's just at the end of his words. Just how, how long, God? How long have I got to go through this? How long before you're going to return? Return, O Lord. Rescue my soul. So he's praying for deliverance. Now, the godly biblical authors, when bad things happen to them, they rightly attribute it as God to God as the ultimate source, right? I mean, do you remember in Job chapter 1, after 
All of his children are killed. All of his businesses are wiped out. All of his servants are killed except for four of them. Satan left four of the servants to come and tell them, hey, everybody's dead. And do you remember Job's famous words? The Lord gives and the Lord took away. And the next verse, it's like the author knows what we might be tempted to think, says, in all this, Job did not sin. He did not blame God. He, he rightly knew God's opening behind this. God in his sovereignty. Okay. Chapter 2, essentially the same thing happens. Okay. Now, uh, even if Satan's involved, God's behind it. So in some sense, as David opens this prayer, Psalm chapter 6, there's a sense in which he's assuming God is angry with him. He's assuming... That God's rebuking him. But he's just saying, God, don't rebuke me in your anger. He still prays to God. I had a time when my kids were much younger. And uh, it had been one of those long days. You know, we have three boys and a girl. But I'm mainly talking about three boys now. And they've been playing and roughhousing and making messes. And it's like, okay, it's time to start winding down for bed. Cleaning up everything. And it's like, you know, the cleaning up turns into another wrestling match and the mess just gets bigger, right? You've experienced this. And so I call them, you know, I can, I can still literally remember this, right? Kind of into the foyer of our house, all three of them. I said, listen, guys, we're done. It's over. Playtime is over. I want you to go clean up your own room. And whatever you do, I remember saying this very clearly. I said, and whatever you do in the process of cleaning, do not make a bigger mess, right? I mean, you... Wouldn't think you would have to say things like that, but then you have children and you do. And so one of my sons goes back into his room, starts cleaning, and then I start hearing some laughing and giggling, you know, and some oh no's. And I come in there, I say, what happened? And he, and his brother tells on him, he had, uh, his mom had gotten him a thing of paintballs for, uh, for Christmas. Now just, we really should blame his mom, right? I mean, why do you, what are you asking for? And so in the process of cleaning up the paintballs, he decided he would like shoot basketball or the trash can. And you can realize that he was missing and hitting the wall. And I was angry. Now, was it righteous anger or not? We can, that's a story for another time, okay? But I, I said, hey, buddy, I, you're about to get it. I'm about to whip you. And he realized how angry I was. And uh, literally, I mean, looking back now, it's really funny. He started praying. He's like, Dad, I think you're too angry to spank me. You know? <laughs> he, he literally was like praying out loud. He's like, oh, God, please help my dad not be so angry. Uh, now, I don't think, I mean, I, I really was laughing at me at that point. I don't think he was that angry. I mean, I don't think I was that angry, but maybe I was. John Calvin says this, He does not altogether refuse punishment, for that would be unreasonable. And to be without it, he judged, would be more hurtful than beneficial to him. You hear what he's saying there? David is so godly. He's so wise. He's so humble. He's so hungry for spiritual growth. He doesn't say to God, please don't discipline me. What he says is, I know I probably need your discipline. I'm just begging you to be gentle in your discipline. You know my frame. You know how frail I am. Be kind. Be gentle. Now, that same child, he's older now and I think wiser, and he has come back to us at times. And listen, when he was younger, he used to be the one like, why do you and mom have to have so many rules? My friends don't have all these rules. Why are y'all so strict? Why do y'all dig? Right? I mean, you have a child like that? And now he's older and he's like, you know what? I look back, and yeah, I still sometimes think maybe you're a little too strict for the most part. I'm glad y'all were strict. I'm glad you disciplined me. 
I know it means you care. And I see some of the wayward paths some of my friends are going down. I'm thankful. And David had this, spiritually speaking. And are we wise enough to believe that about God? If you got your Bibles, flip over to Hebrews chapter 12 for just a second. Leave your finger in Psalm 6. We'll come right back. But this is a famous passage that's worth looking at again. Psalm, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 12, let's start in verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges. And that's not a very fun word. He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. And He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, when you are being a really godly parent, like the most spirit-filled parenting moment you've ever had, no sinful anger, but your kid has done something wrong and you know that you need to discipline them, how do you approach it? Isn't there a sense of, I know that I have to discipline them enough where it will sting enough, where it will get their attention. But I love my child. I don't like stinging them. I want it to be gentle enough where it doesn't cut too deep. I mean, I just had an issue with one of my kids. It was something about money. Right? You don't, you don't, spanking doesn't work anymore when it's like, he might could take me in a fist fight at this point, right? <laughs> but it's like, money works. It's like, how hard and tight am I about to cut the spigot off to get his attention? It's got to stink. And yet I love him. I like providing for him. I don't want him to starve. And guys, as we fumble through that as sinful parents trying our best, how much more wisdom does our Heavenly Father have to say, when I'm disciplining you, I'm going to sting you enough to get your attention. But it's for your good. But I'm always going to do it with the maximum amount of gentleness. He's so kind, even in his discipline. Okay, um, Richard Baxter had this prayer. Kill not me, but kill my sin. When you're going through hardship, what a great thing to pray. Lord, whatever you're trying to do in me, sanctify me. Prune me. Kill my sin. Right? I've had friends at times that have gone through severe cancer treatment. And part of what you hear them talking about, whether it's chemo or radiation, is this is killing some of the good cells. But, but we got to do it to kill enough of the bad cells. But God's the perfect Father who wisely knows how to apply just the right amount. Okay? And in a sense, that's what David's praying for him to do. Now, that's his, that's his request. Hey, God... Whatever you need to do, do it in me, but, but I want it to be over soon. I mean, part of what I said I wanted us to grow in this quarter is taking the Psalms, journaling through them on our own, putting them in our own words. That's typically how I spend time alone with the Lord every day. 
And one of the things you start to realize is the Psalms talk about discipline a lot. And so I've just noticed when I come across one of those verses in my own journal, what I'm writing is, Lord, wherever you need to discipline me, do it. I trust you. But please make it quick and please make it gentle. Which really what I'm saying is, Lord, whatever the lesson in that moment you're trying to teach me is, don't let me be stubborn. Don't let me be stiff-necked. Don't let me be arrogant and proud. Let me be humble enough and sensitive enough to your spirit that I get the message quickly. It's a side note, but it's an important one. And I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in other people's lives. I had a guy working with Campus Outreach years ago, a different state, and uh, he was going through some hardship, getting some feedback, and he did not like it. But at one point, he and I were on a long car ride, and he was kind of letting his guard down, being a little open. And I just said to him, I said, listen, brother, I'm not saying that everything that these people are saying about you is true. But if there is even a needle of truth in the haystack of error, you better go ahead and learn whatever it is. Because if you don't learn it now, it's not like God's just going to give up and say, well, I guess he's not going to learn that lesson. He's just going to bring it back around again later. And probably a little bit less gently. And I thought I was getting through to the guy. And then we got to the end of the car ride, and he said, can we please not talk about this anymore? Which is usually not a good sign. And about a year later, he got fired for the exact same thing. You understand? Right? Okay. Return to me, O Lord. Fix me. Let me learn the lesson. But the second point is this. There's a reasoning. Listen, when you're really wrestling with the Lord in prayer, one of the best things that you can do, again, you see it biblically, is... You make reasons for your request. You don't just say, this is what I want, God. You say, this is what I want, and here's why I want it. You pray like a lawyer going before a judge. It's, it's a biblical way to pray. So look at what David's going to say. Let's start there in the middle of verse 4. Save me because of your loving kindness. So there's his first reason. Notice he doesn't say, save me because I'm so good. Save me because I'm trying so hard. Save me because I'm doing my best. Save me because I feel really sorry. Save me because you're a God that promised me covenant love. You're a God that loves to be loyal to your people. Then look at the beginning of verse 5. For there is no mention of you in death, in Sheol, who will give you thanks. So his second reason is, hey God, I want to stay alive and keep serving you. I want to stay alive and be a good follower of you and exalt you and praise you. It's for your glory, God. It's not for me. It's for you. I mean, just notice how God-centered he is in his reasoning. He's not just selfish. And yet, he doesn't stop there. Verse 6, I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. He's still very honest. He says, hey, God, I'm suffering. I'm suffering. I'm physically sick. i got people mocking me and abusing me. I feel like I can't take it anymore. I feel like I'm at the end of my tether. You're my only hope. Please have mercy on me. Again, God's a good, loving Father that loves it when we pray like this. Listen to Spurgeon. Is it not sweet to believe that our tears are understood even when words fail? Think of tears as liquid prayers. You ever had that happen to you? I mean, I was praying with a man this morning. And he wasn't necessarily crying, but at one point he just said, Lord, I... I don't even know how to express what I'm feeling in my heart. But you do. And so just 
That's what a good father he is. You can just pour out your heart and your honesty. Now, the legalist, right? How, how might their prayer reasoning go? God, I am trying my best. I am working my hardest. And if it's not enough, I'll double down and do better next time. Oh, please hear me. It's good to repent. It's good to be serious about faithfulness. But that can just never be the ground of our hope that God's going to come through for us. Right? And then again, the licentious person, how might they pray? Well, God, again, I, this could never be you. You would never want me to hurt. You would never want me to suffer. I mean, it's such an unbiblical theology. Here's, here's the problem. What if God is trying to discipline somebody? And they're like, no, I don't believe in that. It's like, it's going to be a really long road for you, brother. Right? If God is trying to get your attention about something, you're like, no, I just don't believe God works that way. Because how did you treat your children when they were little and you were trying to say to them and they just kept refusing to listen? Did you ever just give up and be like, oh, that's fine. I'll just give up on that lesson about, you know, not playing in the road. <laughs> you, you, you turn up the pain, the heat, the consequences, whatever it takes to get their attention. And in this sense, guys, God's the very definition of perseverance. Because He loves us so much. So, pray, God, let me learn the lesson. Come back. Let this be over. I'm hurting, but mainly, God, for Your glory, for Your namesake, so I can serve You. John Newton, in his hymn, Approach My Soul, the Mercy Seat, he has this line, he says, Thy promise is my only plea. Right? The, the only ultimate ground of my confidence in prayer is, God, the promises You've made me. Now the third, let's look at how this all, the result of all this. Verse 8, depart from me, all you who do iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. So he's essentially saying, hey, you guys that are mocking me, saying that I've been cast off, shut up and get out of here. You guys are wrong. You're going to lose this battle. I'm going to win. Why? Again, not because I'm so righteous, but three different times he's going to say it. Again, look in the middle of verse 8. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. And one commentator said, listen, in the Psalms when it talks about people being ashamed, it's not just like the feeling of disappointment. It is that. It's not less than that. It's just more than that. It's like all of their hopes and dreams to kill David to take over, they were all going to be shattered. They were going to be disappointed in all the things they wanted. Now do you notice this? It hasn't happened yet. Verse 10, it's in the future. All my enemies will be ashamed. It's like at this point, he's out still camping in the fields, surrounded by enemies, but there's this sudden burst of confidence. And commentators really wrestle with this. It's like, man, the first seven verses of this psalm sound like a guy that's depressed. And then starting in verse 8, it almost sounds like a different person. And so some commentators, probably maybe a little bit more liberal-minded, are like, well, he must have... Maybe he got a word from a prophet or something. Maybe he went to the tabernacle and he heard something and it changed. And, and listen, maybe that's true. We don't know. But I think the best commentators have a better understanding of exactly what's happened here. Now, this is important as well. When, when the Psalms say the Lord has heard, they don't mean it in the way that I think some of us mean it. It was, oh, well, God hears everything. God's sovereign. God hears everything. And. When a psalmist says, no, the Lord heard me, it's like, no, no. 
and he's going to heed me. He's going to do what I've requested. I got a yes to my prayer. That's what he means. Martin Luther had a time where he was praying for something and he came out of his prayer closet and he was just like, we have conquered. We have prevailed with God. Now here's Spurgeon speaking about that. The Holy Spirit, speaking about this psalm, the Holy Spirit had wrought into the psalmist's mind the confidence that his prayer was heard. This is frequently the privilege of the saints. And past answers are the ground of present confidence. Have you ever had that happen to you in prayer? As you're praying and asking for something, it's almost just like there's just a sense in your heart, God's heard me. And I've seen God come through in the past, and I believe He's going to do it again. Okay. Um, Derek Kidner, he said this, it's an answering touch from God. And here's the way Tim Keller said it. A penitent, all right, somebody who's repenting of their sin, wrestling with God in prayer, can receive in his or her own heart a sense of God's forgiveness and assurance of His love. This may not come immediately. We must often wait in repentance. Because there, there, it doesn't always happen, but there can be when you're wrestling with something. Oh God, what are you doing? I'm sick of this suffering. I don't get it. Why? A subjective sense of assurance that God will just give you. I've heard you. My guess is we've all had time alone praying before and we're like, well, that felt like a total waste of time. Right? I know all the right Presbyterian answers, but I don't feel like God heard anything. In fact, if anything, I feel more distant from God after that because I feel like nothing happened. Right? But my hope is, I think most of us have also had times where you pray and you wrestle and there's a sense of, I can't explain it. But I feel like the Lord heard my prayer. Philippians 4, 6, right? The peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, it, it's ideal. You can't always do this, but it's ideal to pray until you have like a subjective sense, God's heard me. I'm not just going through the motions, checking the boxes. I'm wrestling with the Lord in prayer until there's a sense He's heard me. Now, but what if you don't get that heart sense of assurance? Because there's no promise you always will. And if you're always like, i got to have that, you're probably going to end up being depressed. Here's Keller again. If we trust in God's wisdom and will, then we have peace regardless of the immediate outcome. Right? Even when I can't feel His love, I can't see and discern, what are you doing, God? This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem best. But if I ultimately trust in God's ultimate goodness, His wisdom, His will... I can rest. I can have hope. So, a couple of thoughts by way of application. I don't know if you've noticed this. The psalmist doesn't pray like the typical 21st century Western evangelical. These are not very sweet and flowery prayers. I mean, there is a raw honesty about his prayer life, is there not? Do we pray that way? Are we brutally honest about what we really think and feel. Not just, here's all the right answers I know. Here's what I'm really wrestling with in my soul and my feelings. We should, because he already knows it anyway. <laughs> right? Listen, you might be deceiving everybody else, your spouse included. Doing fine, honey. Nothing to see here. I'm strong as an oak. <laughs> the Lord knows the truth. You might as well be honest. Okay. And then, are we, are, we, are, we, are we really open to the fact... God might be disciplining me right now. God might be trying to get my attention. God might be trying to do something in me. 
Again, if, if I'm totally opposed to thinking that way, I think we're going to miss out. So again, when you're suffering, it's good to at least pause and say, God, are you trying to teach me something? And listen, sometimes it might be no. It's just a normal cold. You just got COVID because everybody else in the world got COVID. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no discipline. Just such a, and it's Okay, you don't have to hyper-spiritualize everything that happens. But sometimes it is good to pause and just say, God, is there something going on? Now, why do we hesitate to pray this way? Maybe as much as we should. I think there's a couple of reasons. One thing, it can be a little bit terrifying. God Almighty, the supreme, omnipotent creator of heaven and earth, might be disciplining me personally. It's like, that's not fun to think about. But if it's happening, I'd like to know about it. Right? I'd like to be tuned in. The second thing is, again, we, we can go too far in this legalistic type mindset that it's just tit for tat. That every, you know, I woke up this morning, I feel great. God must be blessing me today. I must have had a good day yesterday. Hmm, I woke up today, I didn't sleep good last night, I kind of feel bad. God must be after me, he must be punished. You, you don't want to get in that kind of mindset. Okay? And then neither do you want to be on the other side where it's just like, God never disciplines his kids. He's always smiling. He's always happy. Everything's always wonderful with the world. So, I'll go back to this question. Okay? Is sickness and suffering always a result of sin? It's really a trick question. Because it depends on how you mean the question, right? Because sickness and suffering are always a result of the original sin of Adam in the garden, Right? in a very theological sense. But in my personal life, sickness and suffering are not always a direct result of some sin that I personally did. Right? So, um, here's a key, I think, for understanding. I got a lot of Spurgeon this morning, but he's got good stuff on this psalm. He said, God will rebuke the Christian for conviction, but never for condemnation. And that's an important difference, isn't it? And listen... If you, if you tend to fall more into this kind of uh, legalistic side that says every time something bad happens to me, it must be because of some specific sin in my life. The greatest thing that should encourage you there is this. The Lord Jesus Christ was the only sinless man that ever lived, and he suffered greatly. Right? He was a man who was acquainted with sorrow and grief, and he had no sin of his own that should have resulted in that. So sometimes the most righteous people on planet Earth, like Job, like Jesus, suffer. And it's not a direct result. So don't beat yourself up, okay? But he did suffer for Adam's sin, like we all suffer, because we're on this fallen planet. And ultimately, think about all that he went through. He's the, he's the true son of David. He was falsely <laughs> accused. He lost a lot of sleep, certainly the night after he was arrested. He suffered a lot of pain, literally probably his bones being ripped out of joint on the cross. And, and ultimately, he did suffer a sense of God's anger and wrath. I mean, remember on the cross, as he is suffering the judicial wrath of God for all his people's sins, he, it's like he can't even address God as Father anymore. He still had faith. I know you're my God. I know you're real. I know you're for me. But I don't feel close to you. Where are you? Why have you forsaken me? I mean, since that was his cry of, how long, God? How long have I got to hang here and suffer all alone? So, 
if I'm trusting in Christ, if you're trusting in Christ, no matter what we're going through, no matter much physical pain, physical suffering, sickness, false accusations, seeming like the whole world's against me, and even seeming and feeling like the darkness of even, it feels like God's against me at times. I have hope. Because God might be disciplining me, chastising me like a good father disciplines his children. But if I'm in Christ, God never interacts with me as a judge again. Because all the judicial wrath that I rightly deserve, it's already fallen on Christ. So even when it feels like He's disciplining me to death, it's like He's doing it for my good. He's a good, good Father. He's doing it for my good. So maybe here's our last thought. Whatever your problem in life is, whatever you're going through this hard, God's always the answer. He's always the answer to turn to Him. Help me. Change me. Grow me. Free me. And what if for a second you say, but I kind of think God's my problem. I kind of think God's the one behind all this doing the hurting. This is what makes Him so great and wonderful. He's still the answer. Because He's not hurting you out of the anger of a judge going after His enemy. Whatever pain He might be bringing to bear in your life is just the discipline of a kind Father who never disciplines us less gently than he needs to. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking the wrath of your Father that we so justly deserve. Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for everybody listening to this, that we, that we would have more of a subjective feeling and sense of joy, of hope, of confidence of nearness unto you, of warmth in your presence. Lord, let the truths that we know so well in our minds sink down in our hearts and be like gigantic logs of timber uh, for a bonfire of worship. That we really just would catch fire for you. That we would love you. We'd be serious about obeying you. And that even when there is pain and hardship, even when there's discipline, we wouldn't run away from you, but we would run closer to you. We would cling to you. And whatever you're trying to teach us or do in us or through us, Lord, have that on way. Have that on way with us, Lord. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching. Thank you.